Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince, and uh, we're going to get to the week's comics in just a few minutes, but we are recording this on uh, February 5th, and today DC announced their plans for free comic book day. The book is called DC's Generation Zero. It begins with um, a flash-forward epilogue, which we'll get to in a minute, and then also features the reprint of the Brave New World story from Wonder Woman number 750 by Snyder and Hitch. Um, should I just read the description of the flash-forward epilogue? Sure. Yeah. All right. In order to save his children and the multiverse himself, Wally West makes the ultimate sacrifice, taking his place on the Mobius chair. Unbeknownst to him, the chair is packing a little extra power, having been imbued with the godlike powers of Dr. Manhattan. Now armed with infinite knowledge and the powers of a god, Wally West can see the past, present, and future of the DC Universe all at once including what needs to be changed. Now, I think all of us wish that anybody other than than uh, Scott Lobdell was writing, was writing this. Yeah. Um, it but, really makes no sense, honestly. It could, <laughs> it should be Williamson or Johns, honestly, but what are you going to do? Well, I wonder if I'm, this is like... Or even Snyder, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that Lobdell is going to be the Wally writer going forward, but maybe it just spins so much out of that. And also I, I think maybe the, the other part of this is that those other guys are probably knee deep in doing big, important stuff for 5g and Lobdell is sitting around harassing coworkers. And so <laughs> they give us, they give him something to do to keep his hands free. I mean, they keep his hands busy. So they're not free. I, I, I idle hands are the Lobdell's playground. Um, <laughs> oh god yeah it sucks the big one that that we still have to keep up with this song and dance um and you know we on our show we avoided talking about his books out of principle but i don't think we're going to be able to avoid talking about the plot ramifications of this at least right. um but uh but yeah he's um he's scumbag <laughs> <laughs> so i have some questions but first, can I make a prediction? Can I? Hello? You, you, you can. Okay. Can you? I was asking your permission. Um, my prediction is that the last page of this 20-page story, whatever it is, is going to be basically him saying, I can see the past, present, and the future of the DC all at once, including what needs to be changed. That everything we need <laughs> to know about this, we've already read. And that we're going to get no, like, ramifications in this issue whatsoever. I'm a little bummed they spoiled the, the, the ending of uh, Flash Forward by showing us this cover. But I suppose they had to. Yeah, I think that uh, Flash Forward is going to end on an unsatisfying cliffhanger. Or it's going to end on this cliffhanger with Wally sitting in the chair or something. And then this 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 free comic book day issue is just going to be Barry or Wally I mean like seeing seeing like past snippets of DC continuity you know he's I, just going to be bouncing around I hope that's what it is I I fear it's going to be even less than that Why well, what do you think it's going to be then Nothing it's going to be this it's going to be him recapping six issues of flash forward and then ending with <laughs> so him you... sitting on the chair so you think it's going to be like just a whole like a, a summary of the, that miniseries? Well, here's what I think. I think that DC realized that 
okay, we need a catalyst for 5G. It's going to be Wally West, but no one's reading Flash Forward. <laughs> and so how do we get people caught up on Flash Forward? Well, we'll do this. See, I, I mean, I've not been reading Flash Forward. I imagine there's probably not that much that needs to be recapped. Um, I think that we will get like one page of him reminiscing about Heroes in Crisis, a page about him and his family, a page where Tempest Fugonaut gives him his mission. Yeah. Uh huh. And then, and then I, I really think the rest will just be him like bouncing around to like crisis somewhat and the golden iconic. age and all those things. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Just like bouncing through stuff, like hitting the highlights, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mobius chair has GoPro. <laughs> so, um, I I have not caught up. I don't think with the most recent issue of Flash Forward, but has the Mobius chair or Doctor Manhattan been a part of it at all, Vincey? Doctor Manhattan, no. The Mobius chair. There was a scene in the first or second issue, and I can't remember who. It was, but somebody like stumbles upon it and they're like, ah, the Mobius chair. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be all powerful now. And then sits in it and gets his ass like fried. Okay. I do remember that. Yeah. 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 I can't remember who it was though. It was some like minor villain or something. Anyway, it's been a long, been a while. Um, don't Brian, don't do it. Um, what? I thought you were going to follow my, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, uh, let's, let's talk about this cover a little, can we? Sure. The, so we, the costume is very good. The costume is very good. 10 out of 10. And Wally looks good in blue. That's all I'm saying. I don't know Flashes if Flashes want... look good in blue. Blue Lantern Barry. Anybody remember? Yes. Yes. I think, I think to differentiate him from Barry, he should stick around in the blue. Oh yeah. Even after the status quo change, uh, so you got uh, 2019 villain of the year, everybody's favorite, number one in your hearts and minds, uh, the Batman who laughs, the Bartman the who top, laughs, the Bartman who laughs, do the Bartman, um, top left, top right, you've got kind of your classic Teen Titans team, um. And then uh, right under that, you've got sort of a vintage Bruce and I'm assuming Dick because he's in the little undies, yeah. which even though which in, is, in a comic this week, he was shown in that weird New 52 Robin costume kind of. Right. So so out of all the things on this cover, I think that that's the one that is the biggest giveaway that that DC is really trying to tell readers that, you know, Everything does count because even in flashbacks, we see Dick in uh, leggings now, nowadays, you know, ever since I, I think shortly before the new 52, they started showing past versions of him wearing pants. And, you know, this is one of the few times you ever see him in the in just the underwear <laughs> yeah. uh, ever. So I think, you know, that's kind of a, a goodwill nod to that. Uh, across from them on the left, you've got all these different versions of Superman, which I can't, it's kind of difficult to make out what any of these might be. One is definitely the new 52. 
Um, yeah, so the, the the front one is sort of a, just a classic Superman. The one right behind it is a is the New Fifty Two Superman. The jeans and T-shirt. Yes, the first one, the one all the way in the back, is the cover of Superman number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like the two in between there are sort of generic, like Silver Age, Bronze Age. The the middle one kind of reminds me of like. The like John Byrne Man of Steel cover yeah, a little bit. Exactly. That, that's what I meant by like the Bronze Age, like the eighties, yeah, late seventies, sure, sure. early eighties. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then you got your New Fifty Two, your Earth Fifty Two, Justice League down at the bottom. Yeah, you can tell uh, because yes. Superman is wearing just the belt, not the undies. Yeah, and, and there's the collars. Collars are super high. Yeah, and uh, and Al's making one, a Gatling gun. Yeah. <laughs> And Wonder Woman's good, uh, good costume. Although, do you that. remember she originally had pants? Do you remember that controversy? Not in the New Fifty Two. Yes, on, no, 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 no. It was, yeah, she did on the cover what? of Wonder Woman number one before it came out. She was wearing pants, and then it was released, oh. and she was just in the uh, the undies. Okay, yeah. all right. That was a holdover of the of the um, Wonder oh, Woman six hundred. Yeah, yeah, where she got the pants. Who? Um, Michael Straczynski. That's right. It was Straczynski. Yeah. JMS was doing both panted Wonder Woman and grounded Superman. Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I will. The one thing that this cover made me think of that I didn't like is just look at Wally's hair for a second, and it kind of resembles New Fifty Two Captain Adam hair, <laughs> where it was like the uh, the like nuclear mohawk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's why I know it's not actually going for that, but that's what it looked like to me. But yes, mm-hmm. I like how he has he has Earth coming out of his um nipples? his like Doctor Manhattan symbol yeah. and his nipples. Yeah. There <laughs> <laughs> uh, go my nipples again, Edith. <laughs> <laughs> You're excited. Feel these nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, very good. Yeah, I will say that I definitely think that Wally should keep the blue. Or remember, right when he came back in Rebirth, he had kind of the maroon costume. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that as well. Like the the open the open hood with the hair flowing is a good look for Wally. Um, now here here are some questions that I have just just going forward about this. Do you think that this Wally? With the Mobius chair, Doctor Manhattan's abilities, all that, will that all stick around longer than like than the five G event? I, I'm not talking about the books that spin out of it, but like whatever the crisis event is that leads to that. Will Wally keep any of that past that event? Mm, that's interesting. I I kind of think that he might. Okay. Only because I think DC wants to set him apart a little bit. But I also would not be surprised if he gets to, like, just... I would not be surprised if Wally gets, like, the treatment of, like, Earth 2 Superman, Lois, yep. Superboy Prime. Uh-huh. Like, mm-hmm. I, if he and his family get trapped in some pocket dimension or something. Or, oh, or I could see... I could see him basically be given the option, like, listen, you can either be this omnipotent being or you can go back to your family and forget this all ever happened. Mm-hmm. And they wipe it away that way. Yeah. Um, all right, so my my next question is, 
if Wally does stick around after this, is he going to be a regular part of the DC universe? Yes. I'm going to say no. Oh, I want I think it, it would be, be yes I think so it would be I think it would be so foolish of them to to do this, to do to you know. If he's if he is in the DCU, I don't think he will have powers. Oh, man. I think he'll just be I think he will be a normie and he'll be with his family and he'll be a mentor to whoever the 5G flash person is. Okay. He'll be the not, Max Mercury. Not... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now you're talking. Now that's, you, I can... that's what I think. Um Vince, would you say that having him not part of the DCU would be as foolish as making him the avatar of hope and then having him kill a bunch of people? <laughs> Infinitely less foolish than that, I guess. Yeah. Who who would ever do that though? That that sounds like some kind of botched CIA mission or something. <laughs> uh yeah, but so I mean I, I think that I just want to say that the title of Generation Zero I think is going to either refer to Wonder Woman herself being like the spark of everything or Wally as the sort of spark behind the new timeline. What do you guys think? I I I think it's the latter. Because, because I I think I think you would I think they would define Wonder Woman as gener, as the first generation generation 1. Okay. So I feel like the free comic. I feel like the free by calling the free comic book day issue this, they're saying this right here is Generation Zero. This is the this is the breeding ground for the timeline. This is what you need to pick up to understand it. And then here's G one. Here's G two. Here's G, et cetera. Yeah. So I, if we're presuming that that G five. Dead 5G, the fifth generation, is, you know, Captain Cold Jr., etc. Generation 4 is what, Young Justice? Uh, well, I, I don't necessarily... Genera- I mean, if you're talking about it in those terms, it's Teen Titans and Young Justice, yeah, and then... No, I don't mean... What I mean is, like, if Generation 1 is the Golden Age... For all intents uh-huh. and purposes, and Generation Two is, I guess, the Silver Age, mm-hmm. and Generation Three is like the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans era. Is Generation Four the Jeff Johns Teen Titans Young Justice that kind of era of hero? Oh, you know, you know yeah, I guess. Like, yeah, I do. I do now. The yep. waves of heroes. Right. Right. Even though, you know, obviously, like, you know, Speedy comes up not long after Green Arrow, so it's not that much of a of a time frame, but just, like, their adulthood being the generational er- eras, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's going to be easily delighted like that, you know, See, I kinda, denoted. I kind of think they have to do that. I think by doing, by breaking it up into generations, they're going to go through some gymnastics to make those things count. Okay. To stick rather, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, anything else to say about this announcement? Um, yeah, I just—I I mean, the thing that everyone needs to remember is what Jeff John said in Doom 
Doomsday Clock 12, which is that, you know, yeah, they're going to come up with a timeline. They're going to come up with 5G. In five years, everything's going to change again, you know. And I think, I think, we, I think, if we're going to be fans of DC and we're going to be reading these books, which we are, the show will never end. We will be here till the Forever. heat death of the universe, right? Forever. Yeah. We just need to embrace that, like whatever they're doing right now is only going to last as long as they can make it, as long as they can goose the sales, you know, and and. We're going to try to enjoy it. You know, hopefully, hopefully Lobdell is not like the architect of the whole thing. Hopefully he's again, just the company man that they refuse to uh, get rid of or whatever, you know, and, and I, I'm just, I'm just excited for the next thing. And that's, that's how I always approach these things. So Zach, any thoughts? No, I, I agree with Vince. I don't really have anything else to add. I, the one thing I will add is that while it might be frustrating to have a, a yet another book claiming that everything matters and sort of trying to set things right, I would much rather DC keep attempting to be more inclusive in terms of their history than to be throwing away stuff. And I feel like the last couple of big DC events have all been bringing in so many bits of the past that and not not the story I don't think the stories have been particularly retro I just think that what makes DC Comics what it is is the the history of the characters and how old and new interact and all that and so while I wish they were already at the place where everything did count I'm happy that they keep trying to get this right yeah, I think, you know, re- revisiting Crisis on Infinite Earths, it occurs to me that, you know, really since even before that event, one of the major pillars in DC's mission statement is to make sense of all this stuff. And they're never going to get it 100% right. But think about that that event was, its purpose was to bring all these disparate elements of DC together, including like recently purchased or recently transferred rights of characters, you know, right. Throwing them all into this big soup and trying to make it work. And then they realized that some of it didn't make sense. So what did they have to do? Zero hour. This generation zero, I mean, zero's right there in the title, huge zero hour vibes to me because that event was all about trying to tie up these loose ends that, didn't really make sense in the wake of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And how does that begin, Vince? What was the first major thing that happens in Zero Hour? Uh, you referring to Wally West? Yeah, Wally disappears. Wally, Wally dies. Yeah, quote unquote dies. Um. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, really, we've been talking for a while on this show about the twenty fifth, twenty fifth anniversary of 25th is that right 35th no. big boy 35th yeah. Thank you. that did not sound right to me but i didn't want to sit here silently and count on my fingers uh, <laughs> the we've been talking about the 35th anniversary of crisis and um you know i don't know if they're going to do anything that is explicitly celebrating the anniversary in that way but so much of what 
Snyder's Justice League has done, and now this and Doomsday Clock, so much of it has felt like Crisis on Infinite Earths. This looks so much like uh, Zero Hour, you know? So much of the timey-wimey stuff, the characters showing up where they maybe shouldn't be. It, Alfred's dead in this comic, and I think I think some of that is accidental editorial stuff, obviously, but like it's it is dc on some level admitting that like hey because of what we tried to do here our timeline is messed up we're going to specifically do an event that addresses how maybe we can make all this stuff fit in an actual timeline and they can't of course they can't right. but like they're going to try and that's what dc's been doing for 35 years it's a celebrate and people love Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know? Nobody nobody really talks about that series as an editorially driven uh, way to make all this make sense. But that's what it is. Yes. And, and, and so... In, and in two weeks, you can hear us talking about it. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, but anyway, yeah, I feel like we just need to embrace that that idea. That, that no, obviously this isn't some... This is obviously an editorially driven exercise in trying to make sense of stuff you can never make sense of. It's a Gordian knot, you know, to make another quasi-reference to Watchmen. But, um, yeah. That's all I've got to say about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, Any other thoughts on this before we jump into the books well let's do this let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about five books of varying quality from this week Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with our first book of the week, which is a big one. Uh, not necessarily big in terms of uh, import, but big in terms of size. It is DC's Crimes of Passion, number one. This is... Um, you know, every a couple times a year, DC is doing these these big sort of oversized holiday anthologies, and they've been pretty fun as of late. And I think that this one has some good stuff and some not so good stuff. But um, should, should we just talk about maybe our favorite stories, or do you want to go story by story through this? Um, definitely our favorites. I mean, if we want to, we can go uh, a little bit story by story if you want I, i'm fine just highlighting a few things and maybe giving some general comments about some others yeah okay. let's let's just highlight a few let's just do our favorites because this okay we've been talking about how these have been increasing increasing in quality the more that they do them uh-huh. 
I, I certainly don't think this one is bad, but it wasn't as fun or enjoyable as the last couple that we've read, I think. Uh, I guess that's fair. This I mean, one... not, not, none of the stories were awful, but so many of them were just blah. Well, what I was going to say is this doesn't have, like, the turd in the middle that some of the other ones have had. Right. Um, I'll also say this by far has the most varied cast of characters. You know, uh, really only one Batman story. I feel like these usually have seven of ten Batman stories in them. Um, we got a freaking Slam Bradley story in here. <laughs> a Wildcat yeah. story, which seems almost less plausible than Slam Bradley. We got a Pied Piper story, which seems even less plausible than Wildcat. So, the well, Wildcat. I feel, like, wanted... I feel like Pied Piper kind of makes sense with like Flash being a thing. The show. Oh sure, okay, yeah. The the wildcat thing is wild because it's it's because it's, it's a cat. It, well, no, because like now we're now it's almost like we're in a post. We are we are actually in the post doomsday clock. I was just making a joke because you you said he was wild. I gotcha. I don't even care if they cancel sports. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> um, Baba Booey. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk okay. about some favorites. Zach, what was what was your favorite story in this? Uh, favorite. Uh, I don't know if I really had a favorite per se. I did like oh, well, the Batman story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I have a, yeah a few. I liked the Batman story. Um, I liked the Wildcat story. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It was kind of weird. I don't know. Um. I liked the question story quite a bit, mostly for the art, but I felt like Ram V really kind of got like the tone of the question down pretty well too. Um, trying to think if there were any others that really stood out. The rest I think were just fine. Vince? Plastic Man was my favorite. That mm-hmm. was uh, Cena Grace and... Uh... Mike Norton, I, I, you know, you know how big of a Mike Norton fan I am. Personally. Yeah, but I think like he write, uh, Cena writes a good uh, Eel O'Brien, good Plastic Man. I thought it played really well with Plastic Man's history as a as a criminal, uh, and then you know his his new status quo. I mean, usual status quo as a hero, you know. The, the, the villain stuff is baked into his backstory more than anything. Um, but I thought, you know, it played the romance angle along those lines really well. And I think some of the better visual comedy as far as, uh, you know, Plastic Man transformations and things. Him swallowing his pride? Him, swal- him literally swallowing his pride. The... Uh, uh, Hang on, I gotta find it. When he's the when he's like the balloon animal, yep, hiding as a balloon animal. When he's coming out of the grate in the wall, like the um, the register, hiding as the painting, hiding as the yep. painting. Yeah, great, great stuff. Just a very enjoyable, uh, funny, charming, all the way around. Mm-hmm. That that was easily my favorite. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot I did like the Pied Piper one quite a bit too. I didn't mention that. Yeah, I was going to say that when you're sort of running down the list of stories in here, I thought the first half was way stronger than the second half. Uh, the Batman, the Plastic Man, and the Pied Piper and the Wildcat were the four best ones, I think, and they they come pretty much back to back to back. There's a Green Arrow one uh, tucked in there as well, but for the most part, I thought those were those were the best stories. Um by far, I think the worst one, and it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it was just much worse, was the uh, Jay Baruchel written one. Which uh, one was that one? He wrote the Dick and Barbara one. Yeah, that one was just okay, and I'm such a Dick and Babs mark, but yeah, um, same. That was that was clearly an actor writing a script because there were some there was there was one scene in particular where where Barbara is talking to her father about her feelings for Dick, and, like, a quarter of the page is her dialogue. And then he answers her with a quarter of the page as well. Like, it's just, it's so <laughs> dialogue-heavy. You can just tell a writer, best known for a uh, supporting role in Knocked Up, wrote that. Scathing. <laughs> hey, I'm just mad because... He's uh, in real life. He's married to uh, Kim, the drummer from Sex bob So, oh geez, Allison Pill. Yeah, and uh, did not know that. Yeah, I did not know that. Little <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Carson over here, huh? Yeah, yeah. God, sometimes I say something and I just know what's coming next, and I I immediately regret it. We we grew I up need... watching the same SNL, buddy. We I we, need to. Uh... <laughs> You know I'm not doing a Carson. I'm doing a no, Dana doing Carvey a, doing Carson. Dana Carvey is yes, yep. And I need to I need to take I need to take that out of my vocabulary and I need to take it's been a while out of my vocabulary now. It's my, been my friendship with you <laughs> is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I really like I Sorry. really like the Wildcat one too. And the the First of all, it was a, a very clever script, I think, and the way it comes around at the end, uh, where you know this boxer knows that he's Wildcat based on the way that he fought, um, is, is pretty charming for a little story like this. But the Riley Rosmo art is, as always, not so. Well, and that was what the comment I was about to make was that I feel like while this may not be the best penned of these stories recently. I think this has been the best artistic one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The caliber and I, I would of art not, is great. I would not have pegged Riley Rosmo. No, I mean, my, Riley can do anything, I'm sure. But I would not have pegged Rosmo as a JSA artist. But now I want to see him draw the whole JSA. Yeah. Any stories... You want to talk about besides the ones you liked a lot? Um, I thought the Batman one was just okay. Um, uh, what else was there? Pied Piper one was okay. Uh, we didn't mention the nut face in the, 
The Green probably Arrow one? The, probably the biggest nut face of the week, for sure. Oh, hands down. I mean, it's the biggest it's nut face of, of, the, uh, of the decade, I think, maybe. Yeah. Courtesy of Black Canary. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this was fine. I, I don't think this is one that you need to run out and get. Like, I, I would have said the last couple were worth getting. And I can't even remember what they were at this point, <laughs> um, what their themes were. But. Yeah. Yeah, me either, honestly. <laughs> yeah. The the Wonder Woman 750 anthology uh was really I'm sure there good. was a Christmas one a while back, you know. It, it, it was sure called was probably... New Year's Evil, I believe. Oh, there. Oh, uh, that's the one, yeah. I'm still waiting for them to do a straight up Hanukkah one, which they should do. DC has lots of good Jewish characters. Maybe next year. Yeah, never never happen. Um All right, well let's let's move on then from that. Over to Justice League number 40. Um, oh, we're going to dial in a special guest for this to explain this issue to us. We have on the line Bleeding Cool's Rich Johnston. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. He's not on the show. Uh, well, you see, I'm quite terribly uh, confused by the... In his defense, I was also confused by the issue for the same reason, but in a different way. So yeah. So when I was making fun of him in the Slack earlier today, I'm I was Slack. just apply all apply all that to you too, Zach. Just yeah. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding, buddy. No. Um, so well, anyway, let's. This oh, issue ahead, is uh, you know written by uh, Robert Venditti, and it's illustrated by Doug Monkey. And, um, you know, I, we, we kind of talked about this at the end of last episode. We talked about the end of Snyder's run, which was just that the book ended on this very ambiguous note. And this book picks up not touching any of that. And so I can understand why somebody who's trying to make sense of continuity would, would have a hard time with it. Um, but I think if you can remove yourself from that, then the story is relatively straightforward. There was a lot of stuff in here that I want to unpack. Well, I mean, I think the one thing we have to say is that, you know, for all three of us, our Sodom yacht alarm went off. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's what I, I want to hear talk you guys. About. I could hear you guys howling from yeah. many states um, away. This this issue had made me have to go back and think about Robert Venditti's green lantern run for the first time in several years i think and that was like dusting off some big cobwebs um because you know he mentions that like i'm pretty sure that sodom yat stuff happened in his run where he like left the core and when like john was the the core leader or whatever um, and I'd actually completely forgotten that john wasn't even actually part of the green lantern core now um all of that stuff came rushing back, um, you know, because he has his ring as part of his finger now. Mm-hmm. Sure. Com- I'd, com- I'd completely forgotten that. Um, so that was interesting. Um, make Sodom Yad a Green Lantern again. <laughs> make him Ion again. 
Yes. Instead of instead of uh, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, which he is yes. so clearly here. Yeah. Bring back Ion, man. That was a time. That was a time. I, I like how just thinking about it. I like how if you squint looking at this issue, the the Eradicator stuff kind of lines up with the the Jurgens. Uh, uh, yeah, Masi Eradicator stuff, but also not really. Is that the last time we saw the Eradicator? I think so. Was that like the first arc of Superman that he was in there? It was. Uh, oh, there may there was a little crossover when he was like working with Zod for a little bit. Oh yeah. Did did the Eradicator show up in any of Venditti's Green Lantern stuff, or was it was it Jurgens's? Green Lantern. No, that was Cyborg Superman that was in there. Yeah. I don't remember. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Madam Xanadu shows up as well. Yes. Can't think of the the last time we saw her. Maybe was she in an early issue of Justice League Dark, or she was in. Wait, I wait a minute. She was she in, the was new in John... Justice League Dark. She was that. Was she? She in was the... in Hawkeye. Wasn't yeah. she? Yeah, yeah, she was. Wait, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. I know what you meant. I know what you meant. She was in Hawkman. I'm crossing the streams again. <laughs> was she <laughs> in the in the Rebirth Constantine book at all? Oh, she might have been. She was in the Rebirth Constantine book, but I think what I'm thinking of is, I think Carter Hall took a trip to. God, am I making that up? No, no. He, she was, she was in the book early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was also Venditti. Oh yeah, you're right. It was. She was like definitely around for that like big final battle where he fought all the Deathbringers. Yeah. So um, Venditti is the new Madam Xanadu writer, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, on on my Kingdom Hearts bullshit, there's a scene where um, <laughs> Bruce is walking through the alleys, and there's an X that shows up on the wall that's supposed to be like Xanadu, but it's also the recusant sigil from Kingdom Hearts. Oh, and so that's no. what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> you thought Disney bought Warners now, huh? Uh-huh. Yep, they got it all. They got it all. Zach, if Sodom Yat showed up in Kingdom Hearts, would that be your ultimate uh, life experience? <laughs> no, it would break. It, not he can't do that until Disney buys. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Brothers would break his immersion. If, if, if he does, if they buy that, then it'll be fine. But until that happens, no, that can't happen. <sighs> it would be too much. God. <laughs> Um, it would it would prevent me from suspending my disbelief. <laughs> you couldn't even get through that. No, you couldn't. Um, oh, it just wouldn't make sense in the lore. Yeah, of course not. Um, but it this issue was this was she was a lot of fun. I thought. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have no problem. Like, Venditti is getting a lot of uh, DMs on Farmers Only, from what I hear, <laughs> about you know when this takes place in relation to Snyder's Justice League. Oh, 
who gives a flying turd about where this takes place? Like, just just roll with it, okay? It's not impossible to just read the comic and roll with it. There is nothing in here that really should confuse you to the point of being unable to enjoy this story uh, just because things might not totally line up or, or, or even if they do, maybe not in an obvious way. But, but who cares? Who cares? I will say this, that I feel like if Venditti wanted to do a... Uh... If you wanted to do a story that wouldn't confuse people as much, both the Alfred and the everyone knows I'm Clark Kent things had nothing to do with the actual story. So if you remove those two things, then you could say, like, it doesn't matter when this takes place. But those two events are so tied to the current continuity that it's weird to put them in there and then kind of also claim it doesn't really matter. Does does that make any sense? It it does, except I find it incredibly easy just to go like, oh, okay, everyone knows. Right now, everyone knows Superman, Superman. It doesn't affect. Yeah, on some timeline, it might place this story in a certain place, but it does not affect either the stories outside this book or this book. Oh, no, I don't care. I'm just saying if if he didn't want sure. to get those comments, I feel like it would have been very easy to just take those things out. Yeah. But you know yeah. that DC editorial is very big. Big on saying like, uh, you know, our our fans want to know that all this stuff is going on, you know, like that. Uh, apparently, it's very important to them and and important to some people that the books reflect one another. Mm. And you're inevitably going to end up. I mean, you're trying to juggle fifty books being published every month or more. You know, you're inevitably going to run into this shit. Yeah. Well, and this is like the kind of thing that. Like right now might make people bat an eye and be like, you know, have those continuity questions. But a year or two from now, this is the kind of like fun continuity color that is going to like make this run have, you know, any kind of like uniqueness that sets it apart from any other Justice League run. You know, you know what I mean? Like this is the stuff in Morrison's JLA or yeah, this is the like electric blue Superman. That's exact example I was going to use. This is when Electric Blue Superman shows up in Starman. And you're like, oh, those things happen at the same time. Right. Yeah. 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 So on and, and and that way I'm like glad that they put that stuff in there. Even if it doesn't have anything to do with the, the story at hand, it's just kind of like fun set dressing to let you know, like, oh, this was about when this was happening. Not not even in like a continuity standpoint, but like a publishing standpoint. Right. Yeah, and I think you know it's bringing in a, a number of characters that are that are fun, but aren't like your standard DC fare, like Eradicator, Sodom Yat, etc. So I always like seeing those characters pop up. Venditti's been doing much better work as of late, I would say, uh, especially over in Hawkman. So I'm excited to see where this goes, and uh, I think that the Free Comic Book Day announcement pretty much confirms the fact that sooner than later everything's going to be changing. So I don't know for how long Venditti will be on this book, but probably long enough to get at least like a mini arc out of it. Right? Would you guys agree with that? Mm-hmm. Six issues mm-hmm. or so at, at the latest, at, at the at the smallest? Yeah. 
All right. Um, what do you guys want to talk about next? We have, uh, I guess, Justice League Odyssey, right? Let's do that. Yeah. Vince has some things he needs to get out. <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, uh, Justice League Odyssey, this is number 18, I believe, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is written by, of course, the uh, the writer since, was it issue 5 after it took over? I don't know. This year, I, think was, six was, uh, okay. I think six was his yeah. first one, yeah. Uh, Dan Abnett, illustrated by Cliff Richards, not the 60s British crooner, a different Cliff Richards. Um, so, Vince, lay it out there, buddy. What's up? Well, I just, we've talked about this book a lot in the past, and, and one of my one of my big things I keep saying is I'm not sure, it, it, it at, at, at one time, at the same time, it seems like the most important book DC is putting out and also one that couldn't matter less to everything. And the reason I say that is because Darkseid is in it. His whole thing is that in the wake of Snyder's Justice League stuff, he's planning on, quote-unquote, rebooting the universe in his own image or whatever. I think that's kind of everybody's... That's like Perpetua's thing, too. It's just like the thing to do when the source wall busts open, I guess. Seems like a pretty big plot point, right? And yet, nobody ever talks about this book. It may have a little something to do with Snyder's Justice League, but almost no other book has anything to do with it. You know, it doesn't... uh, No other book references this one. Um, And so it really doesn't seem like it's very important. And then you get to this issue. (laughs) And there's a whole ton of shit in this that makes it seem like it's very important. This has the possible smell of Generation Zero all over it, doesn't it? Yes. It's, so you, we've got Epoch, the Lord of Time, right, who showed up in the last issue, and we, at the time we mentioned, like, hmm, could this have something to do with the time shenanigans that we can expect are happening in the future with, uh, you know, intersecting with Hell Arisen because Rip Hunter's in that. Uh, Rip Hunter, by the way, big uh, zero-hour participant. Yep. Um, so this is all just feeling very zero-hour to me again. Um, Epoch goes over a lot of uh, different scenarios as far as uh, things. He's perceiving things happening from multiple timelines, and he's he's narrating them as if they're happening in front of his eyes. He's he's pulling a Doctor Manhattan. Uh, it's a Doctor Manhattan, it's or it's the business. Yep, or it's Wave Rider too from from Zero Hour. Like Wave Rider goes back and forth in time and can he doesn't he doesn't stand there and narrate all these different things to a character, but it's very much the same non-linear. You know, there's the linear men and the non-linear men, right? And yeah. uh, and just hu- again huge Zero Hour vibes from this. So I can't help but think that this is incredibly important to whatever comes next for DC. They even talk about rewriting the rewriting history or rewriting the multiverse or whatever. And in the end, I think just decides that it's a good idea. They're going to have to do it. (laughs) I think is what she says. And uh, yeah, Epoch, you're you're right. We need to rewrite time. Seems pretty big to me. And one more thing before I let you guys talk, because I just it just occurred to me. 
which is a very similar thing that happens all over Zero Hour. At one point in this issue, Jessica Cruz is talking to a Jessica Cruz from a slightly different time. And they're in the same room talking to one another, which is a thing that happens to uh, Dick Grayson. It happens to Babs in Zero Hour. Uh, There's one fantastic issue of either Batman or Detective. I can't remember which. I think it was Batman. Um, where there's like five different Batman. There's like the animated series Batman, the the Dark Knight Returns Batman. Have they you been all... reading all the tie-ins to Zero Hour? Oh, you bet your ass I have. Man, there's so many of them. Not as many as there are for Crisis, which I gave up on. I started reading all the tie-ins for that, you and then can't. I... Can't. No, no, and they were so, and the returns were so scant. Like, yeah, I tried that on my first crisis read through, maybe like mm. seven or eight years. No, gosh, it was probably fifteen years ago, and it was like some some issues would have like a panel that with dealt the with red crisis. Sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was labeled as a tie-in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I gave up on that one, but I'm reading all the zero hour ones. Anyway, enough about zero hour. Let's talk about but this book. I said my piece. Do you guys think I'm onto something or am I nuts? Is this some sort of uh, conspiracy theory that I've cocked up in my head? <laughs> it it feels important, but there are just so many other things going on right now. Mm-hmm. And this is such a low-key book. I I wouldn't be surprised if it was important, but I would also not be surprised if it was just brushed under the rug. Yeah. Do you how ha- do you know how I know it's not important? Because it didn't get the terrifics slot in Justice League 39 <laughs> last week. <laughs> if this was really important, that would have been showcased there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. But that's a hell of a But, you know, all right? the stories matter. All the stories matter, though. And that's so true. I think I, par- I would love to have this big crisis shenanigans where this epoch time travel stuff and uh paula from terrifics angel paula comes out and um does some time stuff we gotta do some time stuff y'all we gotta do it the new the new quintessence in the dc (laughs) universe is gonna be jessica cruz no gamma knife is that her name gamma knife yeah, Gamma Knife, Paula, that is her name, right? Paula, yep. Yep, yep. Angel Paula. Paula. Uh, let's see, um, Wally West. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Keep um, going, I'm almost there. Maybe Rip Hunter. Ooh. And we need one more. Uh. Oh, Shane. Shane, yeah, there, there you go. go. I was gonna say Bibbo. <laughs> oh, okay. Superman. That's 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 the new that's the new DC quintessence following uh following five G. I love it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I I think that this issue dealt with some uh relatively important stuff in a pretty fun way. My one gripe, uh, no, my one gripe. One of my gripes with this issue is just that the 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 nonlinear time thing has become a real cliche. Mm-hmm. 
and it's presented in a pretty cliche way here. Um, mm-hmm. But you know that's that's fine. But the other one is that I just feel like there's um, there's just a little bit too much of Jessica talking to Vic and saying that she knows he's in there. I feel like every issue has a sequence where she has to do that, and it's getting yeah. a little tiresome. Yeah. yeah. That's a fair point. And I, I, I think I think both of your points about the time stuff are are probably true. I I, I suspect that whatever is really going on with five G or Generation Zero is going to supersede this and not really have anything to do with this. Um in which case, this is just a, the idea of rebooting the multiverse is such a uh, overdone sort of scenario at this point. Um, if you're talking about, you know, Leviathan in Bendis's books, they were looking to recreate a universe where things were fair for these uh, heroes. That you know, he that was his pitch to Babs, right? Um, Perpetua is trying to do the same thing. Dark Side is trying to do the same thing. Now Epoch is saying that they're going to have to do it. You know, it's just... Um, I mean, you also see stuff like... You see um, like future Barry Allen in The Flash warning against this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, there is so, a lot of this, this floating sort of out in the ether. So either it's a, either it's a coincidence and just a very common uh, kind of in vogue sci-fi plot point these days, or these are really all the oars rowing in the same direction. Some may end end up mattering more than others, but but intentionally they are messing with time in all these books in this sort of same disorienting fashion. But but either way, it doesn't necess- it doesn't make this book better than it is. You know, it's not it doesn't make this book a must read because I think you guys are right. You you get this same sort of material in other books that DC's putting out that are done better than this. Yeah. Especially art art especially art wise, I thought this was a really weak. This was the. Um, there's a good Cliff Richards and there's a bad Cliff Richards, and this is the bad this week. I just feel like this book isn't doing enough to distinguish itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Any other things to say about this book? Or can we move on to our uh, penultimate book of the week? We can move. Go, go for it. All right, so let's talk about the finale to Martian Manhunter, Martian Manhunter number 12, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Um, so I was very behind on this book, and I caught up in the last week. And um, I am very interested to hear... Vince, I'm going to guess that you have been keeping up with this. Zach, I'm going to guess you were behind as well? Mm-hmm. How much did you go back and read? None. <laughs> okay, so I was hoping you'd say that for the show's purpose. How did the last issue read from somebody who hadn't read it in a while? Um, 
I really felt like I had missed nothing except I was not totally sure who the female Martian character was. I assumed it was like, I remember earlier in the series, the villain had captured a, a young girl and I thought maybe she had been changed or experimented. I know it also mentioned that there were like people who were found underground. So I just assumed she was related to that and didn't, and didn't really bat an eye. That was <laughs> the only a- thing that I was like, moderately unsure about that's a bingo by the way yeah what, she, that she was found underground no no, no. she was the oh, she was the she girl was okay transformed into a martian okay okay yeah so there you go um everything else you know felt like i had not missed a thing it felt like it picked up right where i left off in terms of where you know he was with the villain how how far back would you presume you dropped off. I, I, I think I read at least the first, like, at least four, maybe five issues. So I had read the first five and then dropped off. Uh-huh. And I'll say that number six is the issue that gives the flashback to his wife and child dying on Mars. Mm-hmm. And that's an incredible issue. That's a really, really well done issue. I think everything since then somewhat spun its wheels. I think there's still a lot of good in this, but issue six was the last like great issue. So if you were to go back at all, I would I would recommend reading that issue. I would I would like to read it all in one sitting now, but that also makes sense to me because from the very beginning, the stuff with the flashbacks and him on Mars was infinitely more engaging and interesting and unique than the the modern day stuff with him on Earth. Um and I did not care at all about the villain, even, you know, in those early issues. And I feel like this wrapped up in a really perfunctory and just matter of fact way that kind of, you know, w- was in line with my expectations of that storyline. Yeah. Yeah. The villain was definitely just one of those cackling, like, uh, you know, Silver Age, like I've got you where I want you, John Jones, or whatever yeah. type type deals. Um, I thought the relationship between him and Diane as cop partners was um, pretty good to the to the last drop there. I think. Agreed. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I so I I guess I I agree with you, Zach, in that like the ending did feel perfunctory as far as like the conclusion to the threat. You know, I don't think that was a memorable part of the book at all. But I think I think Orlando certainly got the multiple sides of Martian Manhunter's character mm-hmm. and was able to, to sort of filter that out to us. Um, yes. So I think it was I think it was satisfying, but not super exciting. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Well, what I was going to say is that um, the back half of the book, like issue six is the Mars issue. I want to say issue eight is maybe the John Jones, not the Martian version, the partner of the of the of Diane's. It's not like, the Martian. Yeah, not the Martian. Gotta love me. Um, <laughs> it's it's a that that story of like her and her partner, and then I want to say it's issue ten maybe is the issue inside of his mind, like, going through and sort of dealing with the trauma from Mars. And I feel like each of those issues 
didn't progress the story at all, but really enriched the characters. I think that the even issues, 6, 8, and 10, were all really good. And then the ones in between kind of pushed the plot along ever so slightly. But the only real question I have coming out of this is about that new Martian character. And if we're ever going to see her again. 5G, baby. <laughs> no. Oh, maybe. You know, Hey, you never know. By the way, speaking of Orlando, did you guys see he is no longer DC exclusive? No, I, I did. didn't see that. He posted yeah, he, he that he's still going to do Wonder Woman and that he has other DC projects in the works, but he's going to be doing more other stuff as well. Okay. All right. Uh, but it sounded like be... more independent, like creator stuff as opposed to, you know, say Marvel or. He'll be on an X book. Something like that. Oh, that would be good, though. <laughs> I knew, I knew you would. I don't jump. think that. I don't think Marvel is putting anybody on an X book long term no. that isn't exclusive there. No, I agree, and and yeah, who wouldn't go to a creative summit about the X Men books? Yeah, except yeah. for Brian Hill, I guess. Well, but Brian Hill, that was always a limited series, I think. Well. I thought Hill said he left because he had other stuff that he needed to do that right. he wanted and, to do. And he might he might come back. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, what were we saying? Yeah, Orlando's good, and so is Rosmo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. What I was saying, I guess, is that I feel like this is a really this was a good Martian Manhunter series. For folks that maybe haven't read a lot of Marsh Manhunter stories, and I feel like all of these these big characters tend to get a um, every ten or fifteen years a new like uh, essential origin story, and it's been a long time since John has had one, and so this is like his his modern day Superman birthright or whatever, you know. Um, but I don't think that the story itself matters as much as the character development we got around the story. Yeah, that's right. And I think as far as like interesting Martian Manhunter stories goes, the Rob Williams one that we liked so much. Yes, much better. Um, yeah, it was. But but that one, rather than trying to tell a uh, sort of definitive origin or mission statement, was was trying to tell a kind of bonkers imaginative Martian Manhunter story um not necessarily grounded in his origin especially not as a detective you know right. um as at least as far as i remember uh did you like how um after a <laughs> after a racquetball match uh john is just pounding beers in the kitchen with Diane just totally in the Martian nude. Yep. <laughs> he's probably like he's probably Ken doll though, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not I'm not saying Oh no, I think he's hanging brain. <laughs> Aren't Martians like ninety percent brain? Don't their brain It actually would it, it is a brain though. It's like one of those do you remember those like brain erasers from the nineties? Oh <laughs> my just God. like that. <laughs> Oh man, you sent me back. So satisfying. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Well, let's let's get to our final book of the week, which is um, Young Justice. Uh, we we have a sort of an ongoing group chat about things, and Vince had said that we should talk about this book as the last page. Um, and so, oh, we... I th- I thought it was because he was horny. <laughs> wow, what does that mean? You said something about Warlock. Not Warlock, Warlord. <laughs> oh, War... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Warlord is very horny in this, isn't he? Yes. yes. I mean, uh, he he talks about... He talks about ending up lost on Skartaris, but he's not really lost because he's got a bunch of big titty... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, ladies running around with him. That, basically, his words, not mine. I'm not... Yeah. <laughs> is basically... that not what the... He's basically astronaut Jones, and he talks about those big old space titties. <laughs> rocket, I'm, I'm taking, taking a, a rocket. rocket. I'm packing my, my suitcase. suitcase and look out, moon! <laughs> Blast off for fun and adventure. Yes, yes, I said. said that. <laughs> Enough Collecting right. stones. It's my way of the old space highway. We know. We know. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, this is Young Justice number 13, written by Brian Bendis and David Walker, and illustrated by a really great collection of artists. This, this issue, I thought, was a super fun visual issue. Um, let's see who we got here. We have uh, Michael Avon Oming, Mike Grell, and John Timms all on art here. Oming does the modern-day Skatarsis stuff. Grell, who was, I believe, the co-creator of The Warlord, does all the flashback stuff. And then Timms does the standard Young Justice stuff. Um, so what did you guys think of this issue? I liked it a lot. Um, I even liked the Bendisy aspects of it this time around. I, um, I also liked it a lot. I have one complaint with the issue and I wonder if you guys can guess it. Uh, you don't believe that Jenny Hex is truck should be able to fly like that no i'm fine even with if ca- fly. even even if carried no i'm fine with that you're mad um, that the other young justice team got spoiled in future solicits that is annoying but no the thing i'm annoyed about is every time naomi says anything it's oh. in relation to how she's new to this and doesn't know what's going on she's literally every line of dialogue in this issue is I just got powers two days ago. I don't know what's going on. And like she, it's been like that for multiple issues now. That's like since she's shown up in Young Justice, that's been her shtick. Yep. Yep. That's a very good point. I, I thought that as I was reading it and then I forgot about it. Same. So, same. But you, you're absolutely right. Um, good call. Yeah, that and that's it's really disappointing. weird. It's disappointing, and they David Walker is co-writer on this, right? So yeah, um, I don't know. I'm 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 hopeful that that will change. I'm hopeful that she'll have more of a role, but 
Yeah, it's a very good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but as far as good things in this issue, I, I really bought into the, uh, you know, Warlord's explanation of w how he felt lost at first and then ended up not feeling lost because he ended up making his own purpose or making his own home there and how that applies uh, to Connor. And You think Connor needs to find his special purpose? <laughs> yep. I really bought all of that. You know, like that, that, I feel like it's very easy to do, to overcook dialogue like that or to make it too melodramatic or too syrupy. I thought that sequence, like Bendis has done that in the past, just too overplayed or too syrupy, too saccharine. I thought here he nailed it. I, I really bought all of that. I, I I agree completely. I also think having Oming on that sequence helps it because it it's, it gives it a more playful tone, mm. and so it cuts yeah. some of the maudlin stuff out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about the last page? Yeah, we yes. talked about it a little bit uh, a week or two ago when the solicits came out. But we see, uh, we see the sort of a secondary Young Justice team that claim to be the real Young Justice, and I, I don't know how that's going to work. But we got spoiler, we got Jackson Hyde Aqualad, we got uh, Sideways, and is that Arrowette or is that uh, Artemis? Oh, I think that's that's. Uh, Mia Dearden, isn't yeah. that? Yeah, which I think so too. But which does she go by? I I, I always mess up my. Uh... Well, she was Speedy. Yeah, Wasn't I. She first. Um... I don't know who Arrowhead is. Hang on. I believe I think Arrowhead she... is her name on Young Justice. Perhaps. I thought it was her name in the um, the Peter David Young Justice too. Arrowette is Sissy King Jones. Oh. Okay. Oh, who was on? Who was in Young Justice? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's who that is. Okay. See, I was thinking that, like that Aqualad, debuted in Young Justice, the cartoon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that's why maybe he's considering him the real young justice. And so you would if she was a a cast member with him, that makes sense. You know, spoiler and sideways don't so much, but that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Who's who's the arrow, the female arrow character in the Young Justice TV show? That's what we're saying, isn't it? Isn't yeah, that I'm saying, like, I'm I was Yeah, but I'm asking like what what um like is it this like Susie King person, or is it Mia, or is it? Um... I'm not sure. Oh, it's Artemis. It's That's Artemis. What... Isn't that what she goes by in in the cartoon? In the cartoon. Oh, I don't know. Oh man. My my evidence for this being Mia Dearden, and this could be this could be totally wrong. I could be, I could end up being wrong because people change costumes all the time. But I'm pretty sure. Mia Dearden was walking around with a hood 
on back in the day, and she's got a hood on here. So, yeah, young that young Justice is a, a Artemis. Her name is Artemis Croc. She takes on the identity of Tigress in season two and season three. Okay, so different different character as well. Third different character. <laughs> Um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if Bendis has said anything about who this is. I probably should have uh, looked that up. Maybe. Uh, oh, but there is there is also uh, Arrowette on this in addition to Artemis. There's a. Oh, in Young Justice? Yes. The show? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> Who knows? And actually, uh, here we go. And uh, Stephanie Brown was on season three of Young Justice also, as spoiler. Yeah. Voice. Guess who voiced her? Don't look it up. Guess who voiced? I her? already saw it. Vince. Guess who voiced her? Who voiced who? <laughs> You're so right. No. Oh, you no. are really close. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Uh, her. She also voices. Uh, oh. And hog, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, a plant egg. <laughs> uh, yeah, May Whitman. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I, we said this last time, but that's a super fun. Uh, it's a super fun alternate Young Justice team. Um, I was going back to try to check the solicit. This is just we're oh. so good. At- I, on CBR, they're saying that it's Arrowette. Okay. Uh, whatever. We'll yeah. we'll we'll find out. I'm sure. I'm sure it is Arrowette. I just don't remember her having a hood, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's funny. I feel like for many many years, Green Arrow had one sidekick, and that was <laughs> Speedy slash Roy Harper. Then they introduced Connor Hawk. And then four hundred female young young female archers. Yeah, bring them on. Let's yeah, all the archers. Archer wars. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do the 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 red arrow core. Yeah. Anything else to say about this issue? Mm-mm. All right. Well, that's gonna pretty much do it for us, Vincey. What comes out next week? Uh, what comes out next week okay um batman and the outsiders okay oh the bat the batman pennyworth r.i.p special uh batman versus ray shagul batman's grave catwoman uh dollhouse family flash Flash 88, finale of Gotham City Monsters, the first issue of Green Lantern Season 2, the last issue of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, the first issue of Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, Uh, Hawkman. If that actually comes out. (laughs) If that actually comes out. Hawkman, House of Whispers, Supergirl, Superman, Superman Heroes, that's a big one. Uh, Terrifics and Wonder Woman 751. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty interesting week there. 
it's a packed week. It is. If you have to get in touch with two thirds of us, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Brian is an app. I'm at Walker Fox. If you need Vince, you can find him wandering the the streets of Minneapolis looking for someone to get his Carcinio reference. <laughs> I was a big. Uh, uh, Oh God! I'm gonna Ed, Ed McMahon's party machine. Is that what it was yep, called? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, I knew you get that. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, folks. As always, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Ah, oh, listen to Rush Limbaugh over here. No, but I mean. <laughs> I mean, listen, ditto heads. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> this is the reality.